I've been using the Hammerhead Karoo 2 for the past number of weeks. I've used every bike computer on the market through the years. And anybody who listens to the podcast on the regular, you will know that I'm not exactly at peak fitness at the moment. Every other device I've used, they track what you'd expect them to track. They track heart rate, power, distance, speed. But the Hammerhead Karoo 2, it saved my bacon more times than I can count since I've gotten it. It has this really cool notification that detects climbs which are upcoming and tells you how many meters you have left to hang on, to endure, to suffer to the top of that climb. This has allowed me to hang on to groups when normally I would have been dropped and dropped the parachute out the back. Plus, I've plotted some new routes on all training roads with their points of interest feature. The jump from other bike computers to using the Karoo 2, it's been like going from my old Nokia 3310 phone to putting my hands on the iPhone for the first time. It's full colour and the touchscreen is very responsive. It's much more like using a smartphone than a GPS device. And you know it's a bike computer worth using when the likes of Justin Williams from Legion and Froomey have it strapped to their handlebars. For a limited time only, our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code ROADMAN at checkout to get yours today. I'm going to leave all the details for this offer in today's show notes. You know, I, I, I text him today saying, are you doing everything it takes to be world champion? Imagine getting a text like that. And that friendship and that connection, those laughs, that grin, that smile, that is recovery like you wouldn't believe. Go, you know, I start swimming out to this guy and I get close enough to him that I'm like, yo, yo, what are you know? And, and you know what he says to me? Fuck off. It's episode number 484 and today I chat with Ed Veal. Let's cue that intro. Big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Old man, welcome back. I'm super pleased to welcome back onto the podcast today, Mr. Ed Veal. Ed is an old teammate of mine at Jet Fuel. They were one of the biggest teams in Canada back when I was racing the bike full time. But Ed is somebody who's continued to race at the level I was then all the way through. He's racing at the very highest level in North America and he's still competitive in elite bike races despite being well, he won't mind me saying, well, the wrong side of 40 at this stage. He's a man who is a physical specimen who brings it every year and who just ekes out performance advantages every single season. He has defied the normal aging curve. And honestly, I just love chatting with Ed. And I love getting him on the podcast because every time I chat to him, it energizes me. It like fills my cup and it invigorates me. And it just shows me that the limitations that I create and others create for themselves, they're self-imposed and they're not age-based limitations. You're going to absolutely love another fascinating interview with one of the really good guys in cycling, Mr. Ed Veal. Ed Veal, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Great to be back. Ed, you're one of my favorite humans on the planet. Oh, jeez, man. <laughs> wow. One of the good humans. Uh, good to chat again. Yeah, man. No, this is, uh, I've, I, I, I've seen all, a lot of the guests. The quality just keeps going up and up and up. So I figured I'd be out of the queue very soon. <laughs> but you know, when I started off the podcast, I had this kind of, like anyone that starts a podcast looks at Joe Rogan and they're like, okay, what's Joe Rogan doing? Because he's the king of podcasts. Uh, and he has this central idea of mixed martial arts. And then off that, he has four or five different supporting teams. He has, you know, strength and conditioning, comedy, nutrition, wellness. So that's kind of where I wanted to do when I started. So I had cycling and then my supporting teams off that. But one of the things that really attracted me to it was he has his return guests. They're like characters on the show and they come on and off every now and then. And I feel like you are one of these key characters on this show. Like this is, is it your third time on? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so I've had you on three times. I've had Tyler Hamilton on three times. I think I've had Pete Stetna on three times. Wow, that's good company. So, All right. Well, so yeah, you're it's a, a, you're a big good compliment. Yep, big compliment. Uh, I was thinking back about our relationship, Ed, and when we got to know each other and stuff and just, you know, memories and stories from the past. And 
I'm aging myself and I'm aging you here badly as well. It's 10 years this year since I won the Niagara Classic on your team. That's, uh, I just got goosebumps, seriously. I, I remember that. I don't know why that was such a, you know, such an epic day. And I, I can't believe that's 10 years ago, but I, I just, I mean, we could relive that race. We could spend the whole podcast talking about that. So it was a very proud moment to have you come represent the team and then knock it out of the park. And I look around going like, yeah, he's with us, boys. That guy's with us. Well, like, isn't that wild? Because I can still remember like every moment of that race. And it's 10 years ago. I, 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 this is one of the things I come on this podcast and I know your memory is better than mine. You're going to remember these things. And I'll be like, ah, but I can, I remember a lot of that too. And that's, what's so funny is like, you know, where's it stored? You know, like you just have to get talking and it'll all just come right back up. It's in there. Like it was, it was, these are, that's why, um, it's a pleasure to be on this and that you remember this and that you invite me back on here and we had that connection, but it comes from that, you know, it comes from these races, it comes from these epic battles. It comes from these stories. Yeah, for sure. And it's it, as soon as you mentioned that race, you almost you start getting the sounds and the smells. And I can still remember seeing you over the finish line because I got cleared in a group of two with uh, one of your arch nemesis, Jeff Schiller. And I remember me. I remember thinking, oh, second's not so bad here. This is a big race. Second would be a good result. And his team car coming up, and he said to the team car, "Get the guys to chase." <laughs> and I was like, "Fucking what a tell!" Yeah, I was the other way around. I I remember that the other way around. I was with another nemesis who's uh, you know unbelievable rider locally Anton Verbe and it was the four of us up the road and I liked the pairing except they split up the sprinters so me and Jeff are sprinters and then Anton and you were kind of like the the all-rounder climber guys and so it was a it was a climbing finish I I, I would have liked it probably have gone the other way Anton going with you and you know Jeff with me but when Jeff went up with you we were winning. That was I was the other way around. I was that that was a good matchup for us. If it was a flat finish, ooh, I would have been damn it second place. But the way it was, I was like, and and Anton knew too. He he had to go close with me on his wheel, right? So that was you know, and so we we won. We got that. You rolled up with Jeff, and I was like, that's done. And then Anton, you're fucked. But and I was actually tempted this year to come back to race it for the tenth year of my anniversary of winning it, but the race is gone. I know. And that's what's so sad, man, that that was like uh, one of the, I don't know, the crown jewels of Ontario racing, you know? And yeah, was, yeah the, the, the sport goes through these, I don't even know what we're in right now. It's so odd. You know, it's, it just seems like such a, I just don't, how can the Niagara Classic be gone? And then after they changed to the Steve Bauer Classic, you know, a lot of people came together. Um, Steve was a big part of it. They got some sponsorship. They, they, it became even better, like a bigger and better. And then it, now that um, is even gone. So it's pretty wild. And I struggle with this as well. I'm sure you're having the same uh, sort of uh, per shift in who's cycling your side of the pond. It's while I welcome all the new participants coming into cycling, I think it's super cool. You know, I just had a meeting this morning and with a guy who owns a coffee shop and there's a whole new generation of cyclists coming in and they're spending huge money on bikes and they like to go out for 50, 60 kilometer cycles at the weekend. And I think that's brilliant. And I think cycling should be inclusionary instead of excluding people from it. But there's also, there's that elite part of me as well that I just... I, the fire won't seem to fully go out of getting the best guys in the country to meet in some industrial estate far away from the cameras and the social media and just kicking shit out of each other. <laughs> like there's still something so cool and romantic about that. Yeah, yeah, no, that, well, that's that's what these organizers' races are. Like you're, you're saying it like on an outlaw, kind of like on your own, you know, but, you know, that's that's what uh, why I go where I go. That's why I drive 15 hours to a race because the best of the best and we're all showing up there and we all make it important, you know? But like how, because we were chatting and we were organizing the logistics over and back on Instagram when we were going to chat and I was saying to you maybe Friday and you were saying I'm driving across the country on Friday for national, is it still called NCC? National Criterium? Um, uh, well, this, yeah, no, no, it's changed. So it was, uh, uh, what is it called? America Crick Cup? They've, it's a new okay. rendition now. It's a, you know, so it used to be National Criterium Calendar, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then there was like the Pro Road Tour kind of thing. So, so like, what what age are you now at? If you don't mind me saying, asking. I'm 45, 46 in August. So, where does the hunger still come and f come from? Approaching your 46th birthday to pack up everything and drive across the country on a Friday to do a bike race. Because that's the part I'm struggling with at the moment. It's like, how do I justify taking my Saturday to drive across the country to do a bike race? Okay, well, where did it ever come from? That's, that's, so that, okay, I'll tell you, the, I'll, 
without answering it directly, I just, one of my fears is that that will go away. Okay. So it's here. It's always been here. And, uh, but I worry one day I'll wake up and I won't want to drive across the country. So I don't know where the hunger comes from, but I'm as hungry as ever. I still have something to prove. I, I lie to myself all the time that I'm the underdog and I'm, you know, I'm still climbing the ladder and I'm still, you know, as I'm getting a call up or people are introducing me, oh, you know, like they, there's all kinds of cool stuff that reminds me that I'm not that. But um, yeah, like the, it's, uh, that, the race I just lit last week was the first time I've ever done it. Okay, so I'd never gone to the Armed Force uh, Classic Road Race in um, Arlington, Virginia. And uh, so we're in Washington, D.C. I've never been there before. You know, I got to see the White House. I can see the Pentagon, you know, the Washington Monument. I'd never been there before. So, so even after all this, I'm still doing new stuff. And um, I'm still experiencing new things. I'm getting to new places. So that, that part's cool. And, uh, you know, maybe the hunger comes from is that, you know, you and some guys from 10 years ago know who I am or, I, you know, we went through some battles, but there's always new faces that need to be, need to learn. They got to figure it out. They got to understand, you know, like uh, I can tell you just on the last uh, race, I was chirping with this guy. He was really in my face about me taking an inside line. And I, I want to say like, you know, well, I said a lot of things that I can't say in this podcast. But, <laughs> you but, can say anything on this podcast yeah, yeah. on the internet. <laughs> well, the idea is like, my my terrible first thought was like, you don't know who I am. You have no idea who, what you're like, I, this is what I do. Now, you know, I'm, I'm in my element here. I'm doing exactly what I do and you're not in danger. Watch, watch this move, you know? But he doesn't. He's a young guy. He'd probably never seen me before. He has no idea. And to him, I'm doing some, you know, something scary and crazy, right? But, so I guess... Earning like, I that get the twitch respect with new people. To you. I get that itch and I get the I I get the just the throwback and I get the memories of us racing in I don't know Milwaukee and I'm in the line and all of a sudden I see you dive bombing the inside line, banking the bike over and taking like 15 places in the corner. And I'm like, <laughs> that bastard, I've been working for four laps to move up two places and he's just moved up 15 places in one corner. Yeah. Well, that okay. So with age, that's changed. I I am still I take chances in the corners, but not like that used to. That's one thing I I feel it. It's like a shade different, just a hair different. You know, I where I would really like you're not kidding. I remember going up 15 places. Now now it's two. You know, I still do it, but I, it's it's way more calculated. And because I've hit the deck and I I understand. Um, you know, the consequences a little bit more, you know, you can only get away with that so many times before it's like a, you know, the lottery you're going to, you're going to, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I live for that though. That's, that's why I'm driving that far. I haven't been able to find anything that gives me the rush than that. Okay. And when I'm in these races in my element, I am that pain face, that smile, that crazy, whatever I'm, I'm, I don't know. There's no place I'd rather be. So I'm trying to think, I'm trying to put myself back because the fire, it's not gone out for me completely. And there's still, I still get this itch. And one of the reasons I just love talking to you, every time I talk to you, I literally go away and I chat to my girlfriend after. I'm like, I'm fucking back. I'm getting back in this. <laughs> I'm chatting to Ed. I'm back. All bets are off. Cancel the family holiday. I'm back. I'm fucking spinach in the cinema. Uh but what I'm, think, I'm thinking about when I was on the journey and I, you know, raced in Ireland, won quite a bit locally, got a contract in France, went out there, and then I started coming to Canada for the summers and, you know, started doing quite well, some local races, and then Jeff Yo picked me up. And then that's kind of when we started meeting. But then I was I was constantly climbing the ladder. You know, I do a session, I do a training block, and I get instant feedback and I'd be like, shit, my threshold's gone up. Or I get better results in a races. And then I got the contract with Estellas and, you know, started making a couple of quid, not a lot of money. They covered my expenses and now I'm doing pro races. And almost as soon as I got that, I felt like the level of sacrifice to take me to the next level just isn't worth it. And it's going to rip down my entire life. And I seen the sacrifice that it took for me to be there. And like, you remember me at the time, but you didn't have, I suppose, and no one did an insight into my personal life at the time. You know, cycling was a runaway train in my life at that time. It was, my relationship was really not a good quality at that time. It was because I was so selfish and everything was about me fitting my training in, about me getting my session in. I'd miss friends' birthdays, even relationships. The fact that we gravitated towards each other and became friends, there was 
definitely a selfish element in me in that relationship because I was like, well, he's a guy who can uplift me. Here's a guy who I want to be around because he's positive, because he's strong on the bike, because he's a good training partner, because we'll push each other. You know, I, I wasn't putting that energy into relationships with fat dudes who weren't going to push me. So I was so calculated in everything I was doing and it wasn't a trait I liked about myself. And so when I think about going back to that again, to get back to that level again, that's what scares me. When I turn on that beast, I'm not a fucking nice person to be around. Anthony, I call bullshit. You were a great guy to be around, okay? And you're awfully hard on yourself, all right? So your recollection and mine are completely different, okay? So, I, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. We haven't hung out. And maybe you're just this, you know, I don't know, cute, cuddly, soft guy now, okay? But, you know, at the time, <laughs> you, you were always laugh, always smiling, great energy, and you had, you still could be a high performer, okay? So it's not like it had to be one or the other, okay? We had lots of great times and lots of good moments and lots of downtime, like, come on. So, and you could still race at a high level. So the selfish guy, you know, I don't know how much you've changed or what you think it's so far and so different, but I don't, I don't, I, I think there is, uh, you know, part of that stuff is like, what you gotta do what makes you happy, you know? And in those moments, that's what was made you happy. Okay. Like, you know, uh, right now it's not doing it for you. That's okay. Like, but I suppose it's the balance part that I struggle with that, uh, the idea of high performance is high performance kind of, for me, it's, and I struggle with this because half of what I do now, it's in the limelight. It's trying to push more podcast downloads. It's trying to do the Instagram thing to push more podcast downloads, but high performance happens in the shadows. High performance. Now what's wild for me is people like lie about how much training they've done, but in a positive way. Like people people would be like, uh, oh, you know, I, I, I rode 20 hours this week. I'd be hiding my training. You know, I'd be the opposite way. People are on Strava advertising how much they've done. Yeah. Like I turn up at a bike race, you know, off the back of a 35-hour week and my blood sugar's dipped because I've barely eaten. I'm on 400 calories a day and people are saying, Do you train training much? I'm like, nah, doing hardly anything. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing, didn't, didn't even get out this week. But okay, it's so gone I've the never been like way. that. I've never been like that. Yeah, I I'm more uh, instead of these crazy peaks and valleys, I am that. I'm just uh, very consistent, and I'm that's why another reason why I'm still here. It's very manageable because I don't go too deep. I'm not doing 25 hour weeks or 30 hour weeks. Uh, you know, I just tag. I just you know just keep uh, tick along 12 hours. You know, 14 hours, and it's something manageable. And I. You know, I, I don't know. I think that's a big part of the longevity. I, you know, I, when I first started, I wasn't playing the long game, but the, for the last couple of years, I have been. And when I think about what I can manage and what I can continually uh, do, and it compounds, okay? And so, you know, 10 years later, I'm still here. You know, all those, you know, weeks and months, they all add up. And I, I think that's a big part of the longevity thing. And so I just don't ever go over to you have an injury or an illness or crack, you know, or get overwhelmed and, and leave or I'm done with this, okay? And so- yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think there's something in that. As you're saying it, it's the, the effort it took me or you to get good is huge. You yeah, know, there's a big effort for the climb, but to hold that level, it, that's maintenance. There's not, it's not the same effort. You can hold off 12 hours a week, but you can't climb off 12 hours a week. No, no, no. And so there you go. And that's, 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 but the idea is that when, when you drop off, you take a break and then you try and come back, you forget and, and, or you get reminded all that work you did to get there. Okay. Once you're here, yeah, you just hum along. And, and that's what most people don't understand. You know, like, oh, well, that's just you. I'm like, oh, you have no idea how much work I put into this. That, you know, it's me now. But let, let's say I had a break. Let's say I got sick or let's say I had an injury or I was off the bike. You know, I would be sitting there just like you going, damn, how do I get back there? You know, and I know the work involved. It doesn't just come back. Okay. And so you forget all that, all those, that craziness you did when, you know, in the beginning of your career. Okay. But was it worthwhile? Okay. And that's always, you know, you got to go back. Was it worthwhile? All right. To be at the top or to be the local fast guy or to be the guy that's getting these pro contracts or getting to do experiences that you got to experience. And so some part, some point you decided or are still contemplating, is this worthwhile or struggling with, you know, is it? And, and for me, I find it's worthwhile because one of the things that I, I don't know how long I can do this for. Okay. And it's coming to an end. I know it just like life, my cycling career and racing at the pro level is coming to an end. So when I go down to the armed force classic or next week and go to Tulsa or all these races that I'm doing or all the experiences on the tandem, you know, eventually I will be pining to get say, man, I wish I could just put my leg over the bike and hit a world cup again. And I won't be able to. And is there a part of you and you know, it's, 
I've I've plugged in and out of it and I definitely haven't done what you've done with the sustainability because then obviously I came back two years ago for the tandem and then went from doing like four hours a week to back doing 25 hours a week to get in shape for Worlds over in Toronto, which was awesome to race against you again, even though I hit every single foamy on the <laughs> way around four kilometer pursuit. Like, uh, that's still one of the things that irks me because our national record is 417 on the tandem. And like, off our splits and training and stuff, we were nailed on to go, you know, 417 to 419. It was going to be close and you would hope given the heat of the track and, you know, a bit of extra on the day. Man, did I have a shite race that day. Ah, it happens. That's what sucks about all these, you know, four minute races. You do all this prep and, you know, and you can just mess it up, you know, but, but the, it wasn't that bad. It was, it was fun. It was great seeing you. I loved you. You were so awesome to sit down with us and share all your little innovations and different things with the, you know, equipment and, you know, what you guys have been doing. And it, so what, what's been amazing since then is that the Irish team is our ally everywhere we go. You know, it's unfortunate that you're not a part of it, but I can't believe how it feels like an extension of Team Canada. They, the mechanics chat, we share stuff, you know, the the pilot, you know, um, you know, we, everyone's just always smiling and, you know, I don't know. I, I really, I think that, you know, Canada gets a good rap for being like the friendly country. And I think Ireland has to be like, you know, tied or right there close behind because your team is incredible. And I think the, the us versus them is powerful as well, because when you have the big countries like GB, Holland, you know, with massive amount of resources, I think it definitely galvanizes smaller countries like Ireland and Canada coming together, which have a fraction of the resources. Like how fast would you go in on a GB bike with GB wind tunnels and GB skin suits? You know, it's frightening. Like, Yeah, I, I personally, I, I, I leave that up to someone else because that's not my, that's not me. If, if it was about innovation, we would be, I don't know, I'd still, I'm, pretty much a caveman. I put my leg over whatever bike someone gives me and I look after, I hope there's someone else that's passionate about that. So I understand uh, the marginal gains and everything, but that does not come from me naturally. So I don't know and I, I actually don't care. So I'm glad someone else takes care of all that. Do you ever worry yet, or not even worry, do you ever wonder, and this is the one that gets me where I know I can still switch it back on on the bike. I'm at an age and I'm still at a health level where you know I'm, I'm still the fast guy locally, but I know that it takes extra energy and it takes extra focus to step back up to being the fast guy nationally and internationally if I still want to do that. But I still think I can do that. But what I worry about is if I put my energy there, I put my focus there, focus is not unlimited. If I put it there, it comes from somewhere else. And for me, my focus at the moment and what I'm getting the kick out of is the podcast. I'm in the same way that when I started out cycling, I'm like, oh, where is the limit? Could I win a stage of the Tour de France? Could I win the GC on the Tour de France? Who knows? I'm getting good so fast. So right now it's the podcast for me is that vehicle for that energy. Do you wonder if you took all this real deal energy and focus and you put it into, you know, whether it's a charity, a business pursuit or your personal life that you could just blow something up to an insane <laughs> level? Okay, so I think these thoughts is a is a bit of a curse. It, it's good for you. it's got you a lot of things, but it's also always second guessing everything. Am I on the right path? Like I I feel right. What you're doing is if you, there's a pie chart, okay, and you think where the podcast means something to you, okay, you're you're saying in order to do this, I can't do this, okay. If I were to do this, I can't do this. Why why can't you do it all, okay? And I know there's a limit to what all is, but that's what how I my lifestyle is very, um, I, you know, the things that I want to do, I do. You know, there's not a lot of things that I'm like, oh, I'm not getting to do, okay? Like when it comes to relationships or seeing my family or I'm a dad, you know, look at the time I made for this podcast. Like I, I actually have a pretty good lifestyle. I get to do it all, right? And, and I'm, I don't go to bed going like, oh, I'm sacrificing so much. I don't get to do these other things, okay? So I don't I don't know where, you know, maybe I'm just simple. Maybe I'm content. Maybe I'm, I'm not striving for as much as you are. I don't know. But, you know, I, I do, I'm really in a good spot where I'm going like right here, right now, I'm doing everything I want to do. Okay. And so it, but the key is that the second this, this road racing crit, you know, kind of like high performing national team member thing falls apart or it's done or I, my body or whatever, just the wheels fall off. Yeah, man, I got, I have so much confidence in what's coming next. It's not funny. I don't know the answer, but man, it, it's going to be I'm not sure that too. ever falls apart for you, Ed, because when I look at your cycling career, it's, you're just redefining challenges and finding different challenges for yourself and whatever way you're positioning in your head the, the item you're focusing on right now is the most important thing in the world to you. And then you bring that real deal focus to that item. And that's what keeps you at a level. Like for me, 
on the Paralympics, like my pilot or my stoker, Peter Ryan, rang me like we hadn't assured our qualification for Tokyo, but we had a good chance. You know, we I think there was three Irish bikes going and five bikes in total, and we had a good chance of being one of those bikes. And Peter rang me and he said, how bad do you want to go to Tokyo? Because I'm thinking of, because obviously Tokyo got delayed a year, I'm thinking of calling quits on the whole thing. And my head straight away didn't go to, oh yeah, I'm high performance. It's like, well, it's a Paralympics and it's not my Olympics. You know, I, I don't care. You know, pull the plug if you want to pull the plug. But you managed to refocus and pour all that energy into para, which is so commendable. Like, And because you put that energy into it, now it is high performance because you're one of the fastest tandems in the world at the moment, which is amazing to watch. Uh, you give me way too much credit. I Listen, I uh, when I signed up for the tandem thing, uh, Lowell came and uh, we we met kind of a weird thing at a nationals and, and I did my due diligence with him. I, I pretty much said to him, like, I'm wired a certain way. I don't. I, I'm, I'm not just parading around with a guy on the bike. Like it's either we're going full gas to be the best in the world or give it everything we have, you know? And so he, he signed up for that and he said to put up with that. So it's a blessing and a curse, man. Like I, he, you know, I, I, I text him today saying, are you doing everything it takes to be world champion? Imagine getting a text like that. You, you're training like whatever. And then I give you a little poke. Okay. That's, that's what I like. I'm not, I'm not saying we're wasting our time. We're having a great time. We have a great relationship. Me and him are connected. I couldn't have a better partner on the bike okay but there's also the the savage in me that's like we're not doing this for you know i, I want to you know i'm putting my everything into this I, I don't know how to explain it where that comes from i wish i had an answer where it comes from but that's guided me every time i clip in you know i go to the midweek crit our little local crit and there's never once i don't take it like it's the only race on earth it's like my last race it's always been that way you know, I don't I've know been where even it comes on group from. rides with you, and it's like that town sign sprint is the Sean Salise. And I'm like, where does this energy come from? How is he hitting max heart rate on a Wednesday evening? I was going for a man. coffee ride. I know, but it, you got to understand, like, focus like that. Also, I miss things, you know, like I'm, I'm so in the moment. Like, a lot of times when the world comes back or I get home from the ride, I miss all kinds of stuff because I'm so in the moment. So it, it, it's not all good, you know, like being hyper focused is great for sport. Okay. It's great for, but I mean, Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's friends that, uh, you know, I haven't called or people I haven't reached out to or like, you know, my inbox is full. I have all kinds of things that are like, you know, missed um, because of that. And that's, that's the bit that scares me. It's the the text you sent to Lowell, are you doing everything you can right now to be world champion? That's the attitude I get back into when I switch into, you know, the beast mode, when I switch into race mode. I'm like, every single decision I make in my life runs through this binary lens of, am I doing everything I can right now to be the best bike rider I can be? And that's the toxic part for me. That's the part that it's like, okay, now I'm not meeting my friends for a beer. Now, you know, you bring that down the road a bit further. Now I'm sleeping in a fucking altitude tent with chains onto the roof. Okay, hold on, and hold it, on. Why aren't it you has meeting your no friends for end the beer? For me. Why aren't you meeting your friends for the beer? Because the beer going in your body? Because, yeah, I put it through a binary lens and I say, okay, yeah. meeting my friends for a beer, make it more or less likely I'm going to win this bike race at the weekend. See, and I don't, I, so I would, you know, when, where this comes from, I don't know. But the beer and that friendship and that connection, those laughs, that grin, that smile, that is recovery like you wouldn't believe. Okay, so. Yeah, that's a healthy way to look at it. It is such a healthy way. I, I, no, no, it's not just a healthy way. It is the way. Like, I, that's what I want people to understand is that, you know, yeah. if you can sleep well at night and relax, like how many people actually relax? Well, having a beer, a couple calories and a little bit of alcohol with a friend that now you open up, you're sharing stories, you're having a good time, you're laughing your head off, you're, you know, are you kidding me? You want to, you, you, all your body just like, ah. And it doesn't, you don't even need the alcohol. But the point is, it's like a couple extra calories. Like I've never been that way. I, I I can be a monk and disciplined for, you know, a couple of weeks to get lean. And then it's the same thing. Then I just hold, you know, and I get there and then I go right back to the, my lifestyle, right? So and then- That's your magic, Ed. And you don't realize that that's your magic. You know, I chat to guys who are high performance on the podcast all the time from, you know, Hincafe to Svein Tuft and guys who've won the biggest bike races in the world. And high performance- it doesn't have that balance like you have. There are opposite ends. There's high performance or there's having drinks with your with your buddies. But you've managed to maintain high performance while keeping the best from, you know, everyday citizen life. And that's fucking unique. And that's your superpower. You got to be careful though who you compare me with because I, I haven't been world champion and I haven't been the absolute best in the world. So there is that peak that I have not reached. And that is one of those trade-offs that I'm willing to keep it like this and not be the absolute number one top of the heap. Because 
you know, this is sustainable. Okay. So if I'm close, I'm in the mix. I know all those guys. I line up in races with them. I get to, you know, uh, but if I'm giving up that, that extra, whatever, half a percent, because to live like that, weigh my food and, you know, whatever. Oh, I don't, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. This has always been about lifestyle. And so the lifestyle that I'm living, bumping elbows with those guys and every once in a while being competitive and every once in a while kind of like being in the mix or I'm telling you, man, like I, 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 and I don't feel bad about that. Okay. So world champion is a weird thing. I've never thought about being world champion until now on the tandem. Okay. Before this, I, it was, I, I never was on my list. I never even thought about it once. I never dreamt about even going to the Tour de France. Okay. So I don't have those regrets or what ifs or, oh, if I only did this. I never, it's never been on my mind. But I chatted to an amazing guest last week. Her name is Kat Bishop. And we were talking about her whole premise is that we're in an era now where we need to redefine success. Like you can't look at Bradley Wiggins winning the Tour de France and say that's successful. He is a deeply unhappy dude with a broken marriage, mental health problems, alcohol issues, you know, body self-confidence issues. The process that created him and made him a champion is also the very process that broke him. And that's when I look at my cycling. I went through that. I didn't get that Bradley Wiggins result, but I brought myself through that process of breaking my love for the thing that I started out loving. When I look at it, and I think about one of the most successful athletes I know and not blowing smoke up your hole, it's you because it's a different version of success. Yeah, you haven't rode the Tour de France and you haven't, you know, won Paris-Roubaix and, you know, Gent Velegums like George Hincapie, but you've managed to navigate high-performance sport while still excelling as a person and being, you know, if I was wanted to meet somebody for a beer with no, you know, geographical boundaries, you know, you'd be very high on my list. And that's what success looks like. And that's the role model we should be holding up on a pedestal. And that's the story we should be screaming from the rooftops. I would, I, I feel the exact same thing about you. Okay. So you're, you're painting me with this brush, but I would say the exact same thing with you. When I see your podcast and I think how, how much you've come, how far you've come, you know, the guests that you're attracting and the way you speak and how great you speak, you know, like it's, it's wonderful. Your questions are awesome. And when it just flows, like I, I'm in awe. All right. And when I think of what I gravitate to in life, one of the biggest things I like is good conversation. That's, that's like, I've, I've actually ranked things that I look for in the people I surround myself with. And you know, you like high performers or someone makes money or they race their bike fast or whatever, but conversation that that's it. And you are, you've got it down. Okay. So like to me, success is different for everybody. And, and, and with my coaching, I'm always trying to tell people like, Hey, you're a good dad. You know, you really, your yeah. household is awesome. you got awesome morals. You, you're a good person. You know, like, you, okay, so what? You, you got dropped on the last climb. Like, this is a conversation I'm always trying to, you know, uh, uh, spread with other people. You know what I mean? They, success is, is warped, okay? This idea, like, and I don't, why, like, I don't, I feel like I'm always trying to explain that to When it comes to money, I do not chase money. Everyone comes to me, you're so odd. I'm like, you're odd. You give up all your waking <laughs> hours to get a buck, you know, and that you're going to stockpile and lose on, you know, and then invest in properly, or like, you know, all this stuff. And then, and then you're going to just go, you know, retail therapy, you know, give up, you know, a couple of weeks worth on something you don't even want. Like you're like, I, I, these are conversations I have with people all the time. Like what is success? I had this exact conversation. I spoke at the London podcast show a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to someone over there and they're like, you have such a weird lifestyle where you ride your bike during the day, you do some podcasts and then like you hang out and go to the beach and shit. And uh, I was like, well, like, is it that weird? And I was like, okay, let's do a little bit of a pie chart. I'm like, there's four or five things that are important to me in life. Like, yeah, financial and being able to pay my bills is undoubtedly one area that's important. But like health and sport is really important to me. Learning new stuff is really important to me. My kind of spirituality and meditating is important to me. Family is important to me. Friends is important to me. So I have like six areas that are important to me. And now I look at how many waking hours I have in a week, like 70, 80. Like for me to go and get a job for 60 hours a week, so spend 60 of my hours on one of six areas in my life that's important. I was like, how does that make any sense? Like this isn't a complicated equation. I need to... Sp- Spread my time evenly over things that are important to me. Yeah. And it was like they had this like light bulb going off in their head going, oh my God. Well, like, okay, success. How is this novel? Okay, so if you just take the general public or people in my circle anyways, they'll they'll say like financial successes, you know, something they, they wake up every day and they worry about their finances, right? You know, I, I, I don't know. I just can't relate, okay? I've always had, I, you know, 
I just, that's one thing I just, I just cannot relate with them right away. I think about my health and I think about my relationships. When I think of the phone ringing or someone wanting your time, you know, inviting you places, like you saying, come on the podcast, that is currency. That is like me? Really? Like you, you want my time? Holy shit, man. I love your time. I'd love to be on the podcast. I would talk to you all day. You know, like I, I had a guy, um, uh, last night, he asked me to come to a big, uh, he's got a banquet that's really important to him. And he'd want me to be like one of the presenters. And I'm like, I'm there. You know, like that that kind of stuff is like, you know, when I think of you, like, I'm honored. Like, it's me that you're inviting, not, not you're like, yeah. So it's like, when when people want your time, or they like being in your presence, or they think you're funny, or they want to just chat and talk, or like, you know, making plans. Hey, when can we go for a bike ride? Or hey, when can we get together for dinner? Like, to me, that, that, isn't that success? Like, you know, that to me, like, so cultivate those things. And I know when you're away and you're working so hard and I'm traveling, like that kind of stuff goes away. But I try to put time and energy into that because what, what are we without those connections? Okay. And so that's why I have the beer after the race. It's the same thing. You know, it's not about the calories in the beer. It's like, we just went through war. We just, let's go get a burrito. Let's go get, like, let's enjoy this together, together, you know? And it's funny because some of the experiences I think that bonded us quite close in my head, they're actually not races we've won, but I can remember doing it was Milwaukee Super Week and the last race of Milwaukee Super Week it's like downers or something it's called and there's a massive crowd at it yeah. I remember getting hand up a beer on the last warm down lap and going for beers after and as far as I can remember none of us got up in that race <laughs> But I still remember drinking the beers and the laughs that night. And I can remember exactly who was there. Pete Morrison is shit music. Yeah. And- yeah. So now that's, that's the same thing I live for today. So that hasn't got old. That it, like, it, it, I don't, I don't know the, you know, the, whatever you call it, the recipe of why that's so good, but it's so good. You know, whether win or lose, uh, you know, the line win or lose, there will be booze, you know, just having a cold, cheap, American, whatever, Budweiser, you know, handed out you out of a cooler as you're, you just went through war for 90 minutes. I don't know. And then you roll up to your buddies and everyone's got like their bags under their eyes and salt all over them. And everyone's just kind of shaking their head going like, what the hell was that? Clack a beer and, you know, and I don't know. It's, so that makes me happy. Maintaining that fire, maintaining that desire. How important is the people you surround yourself with? It's everything. And it's actually one of the notes that I made here. I, I don't, I didn't want to prepare too much, but that was one of the things I wanted to touch on is that when I think about my, my long-term successes, I've had unbelievable support and I really believe you've become who you hang out with. So, you know, I was just on the phone with Raul Miller. Do you remember Raul? Yeah. Yeah. I, I still follow him on social. And, yeah, I love Raul. and yeah, like he, he's someone we speak to a couple times a week and our conversations are pretty deep and we share our lives. It's intimate. It's it's amazing to have a friendship like that. And and the phone just rings and sometimes I know I'm like, it's gonna be a 40 minute call. And I take the call, you know? And that's the thing. It's 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 a beautiful thing. And and you know, we lean against each other and we we you know, we just share our lives. And it's it's really cool to have those friendships. And so, you know, it, sometimes it's 60-40, you know, sometimes it's 70-30 on who needs the the pep talk. But the key is like we're going through this together, you know, and I I those those relationships are invaluable. I think there's certain activities, relationships that fill you up and energize you. And I'm not sure about you, but I find this. People say to me, oh, geez, you're working so hard on the podcast. And like, I'm like, I've had jobs where I've worked hard. Like I've worked on building sites, lifting brick all day. Like this is not hard. Like I talk all day. Like we could do a seven hour podcast and I would be bouncing after this. Like I'd be like, it fills me up. It energizes me. And certain things in life do that, whether they're conversations or they're relationships. But by the same token, some things just suck the fucking wind out of my sails. A buddy asked me to review a contract, a legal contract a few weeks ago. Within five minutes of reading that, I was like, I, the best decision I ever made was not going into law. I would have blown my brains out by now. Okay, so that that's a, a good... My girlfriend, Amanda, um, we're coming up on five years and the last five years have been incredible with her because she takes care of that stuff for me. And so we have a team here. She knows if I get a form, if I have to fill out a form, I am, I don't, the guy that she looks up to and uh, you know, runs, <laughs> he, he just goes, he goes running, you know. And so, you know, uh, I, I look after, you know, the dishwasher, uh, you know, things. I'm under there. She's like, you're dreamy. You fix the, you know, like a, the handyman stuff I look after. We have like jobs that we look after, but the contracts, anything like that, I'm, I can't even, I don't even know how I would get through this life without her help. You know what I mean? So back to support, like, you know, I do the things that I'm really good at, my strengths, and she looks after the stuff that she's good at. And together, once again, uh, here I am happy. And 
I, I hope everybody has those kind of relationships, whether it's their parents or their, you know, brothers and sisters, somebody that's good at these things. Like, for example, um, my, my, uh, my accountant is my, my brother's girlfriend. Okay. She's a whiz. She looks after all this stuff. She makes things that I cringe and never want to look at or touch, or I just like, Oh my God, can I just, you know, bury my head in the sand? And she makes it, she takes care of all for me. You know, it's wonderful. So I think everybody needs to have these, uh, you know, whether they're friends or family or just awesome people. It's impossible to get to the top without help. And a lot of, too many people are doing it alone. It gives you back so much more than the actual time that it takes to do the task. I'm finding this the podcast. We've got a podcast editor now. You know, Billy Big Balls have a podcast editor. But so <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just the time that it took me to edit the podcast, but I'm not an editor. It's not my passion. I'm looking at yeah. a file going, oh, what is going on here? It's sucking my creativity out of me. Yeah. It's sucking my energy out of me. When I started this, I started with a blank page, no businesses. I'd sold anything I'd built or spent time on. And I started with a blank page and a buddy of mine is like, okay, what would you do all day long if money didn't exist? The concept of money didn't exist. What would you like to do all day long? And I said, I'd like to have inspiring conversations with people I really respect. And that's where the premise for the podcast started. It wasn't even a mention of a podcast. It was, okay, how do you have inspiring conversations with people you respect? And then we threw down a load of bunch of ideas and that was the genesis of the podcast. Okay. So, but that's, that's back to when you're not wondering where this drive to be a high performer is, why you're not winning races or why you're saying to me, how are you still racing at this level? I wake up and I, I'm like, I want to fuck shit up and I want to be the best I can be. Okay. The podcast can come in a year. We'll do it together. You can come in two years and come three years. I'll have lots of time to podcast, but right here, right now, right? I'm going to be turning 46. We all know we've been having this conversation for 10 years. You know what I mean? I made the national team at 37. That made headlines. Make the national team at 37. Well, 10 years later, I'm still on the friggin' national team. Okay. So that this is the idea of like, but it can't continue. Okay. So I wake up and just like you, I design my life the exact same way. And that's why I'm happy. I'm like, what if I was dying? Or I was, yeah, I only had a couple of years to live. What would, how would I design it? And I'm living it. Okay. And I have a lot of guilt for that. Okay. This is one of those things. I know many, 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 many people, whether it's from choice or circumstance or whatever, they, they don't get to live that way. Okay. So, you know, I got up this morning, I did yoga. I ate a, I had a great coffee. You know, I, I read a little bit. I went and took the dog for a walk. I'm prepping for a podcast. Like this is my day. I'm going to go out and ride my bike. And then tonight when I get around and I'm going to open my uh, thing and I'm going to do some coaching. Okay. That I like with people that I've chose that I only work with people that I like. Okay. And then I'm going to get on there and I'm going to talk about cycling and fitness and, you know, all the things that I'm really passionate about. And then I'm going to. So where does the regret come from? Because it's too good. I've, I've lifted oil tanks and boilers. I've had shit jobs. I meet all kinds of people that just don't seem to get out of their own way. And they've made all kinds of crummy choices, whether it's they were born into it or they, you know, whatever, that they have a really shitty life. And for no matter what I say to them, they just keep going down the same rabbit hole or go on the hamster wheel of just garbage. And so here I am, you know, and I've met, I've met a few people that have, a, you know, designed their life pretty good. But for the most part, most people I, I'm around are miserable. Okay. And they're, they, they just can't get out of their, they can't get off that, that, uh, whatever the track, you know, that, that thing that I've got an, I've got an amazing story for you. It's one of the best stories I've heard on the podcast. If you were to put a gun to my head and say, what's the best anecdote you've heard on the podcast, this would probably be it. And it's a friend of mine and he is a rescue swimmer. And I don't think I've told you this before. So the rescue swimmer, the helicopter goes out into the RC on the shittiest of shitty weathers. When nobody's going out, they go out. And once in a career, you will get a boat that's in real trouble and they'll deploy the rescue swimmers. So kick-ass swimmer, he dives into the water. And he said, every rescue swimmer will be faced once in their career with this problem where you dive into the water and there's five places on the helicopter, but there's seven people in the water. And I said to him, well, how do you choose who lives and who dies? And this is the line that got me. And this is the line that saved me so much with friends where I'm trying to drag them into my lifestyle and trying to lifestyle design for them. He said to me, you can only save the people who swim towards you. And I was like, wow. what a brilliant fucking line. You can wow. only save the people who swim towards you in life. Like I get with the podcast all the time. People are like, hey, you've done this kind of lifestyle engineering thing where you can, you know, work and coach down the beach during the day, ride your bike, come back and have inspiring conversations. Like help me do it. And if somebody wants my help, I'm here all day. I'll cancel all my plans. I'll give them your help. But I've other buddies and I'm trying to drag them out of the pub and I'm trying to say, this isn't good for you, man. And it, it's brought me nothing but, you know, it brought me down to their level rather than me bringing them up to my level. 
Wow. That is, I love that. That's really good, man. And I, uh, I don't chase anybody. That's, that's why, you know, I, that's one thing I decided I'm just not doing. So whether, you know, it's from that story or just being burned or whatever, but I, I don't chase people. Like it's mutual. I give and I get, and you know, it's reciprocal, but I, if it's a one-way relationship, it never lasts and then I'm out. Um, funny story about the rescue swimmer. Um, we're riding along uh, Lake Ontario and uh, right along the beach and this crowd's starting to form and there's a guy flopping out in the, in the water. Okay. He's got a kayak that's like, I don't know, uh, say a kilometer from shore. Okay. And he's, He's trying to pump water. He's do, he's when and people are like getting nervous. Like he's gonna drown. Or I said he's fine. He's pumping. And like I'm, I'm with like four. I'm with my son. I'm with my girlfriend. I'm with another buddy. We're just riding, but everyone's stopping and people are like waving help, hello, help. And I'm like <laughs> the inner sheriff in me is like, oh come on, right? So I'm like trying to tell the people in my circle he's fine. I'm I'm watching like a hawk, just like everybody else, and he's full of energy. He is trying to pump the thing. I, from what I can see, I was like, he is not, he's trying to save the boat. He's not trying to save himself. You know, I'm tr- stay calm, stay calm. And, and people are like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, when, when there's an emergency, then I will jump in the water. But until then, let's watch this guy. He's going to save this. Right. But this young kid starts taking his clothes off. He's on the pier and he starts going down and I'm in my cycling gear, my thing. And so I walk down to him. It's like, Hey dude, can you swim? Cause it's Lake Ontario and it's like, it's winter. Yeah. It's like, we're all in our, it's freaking frigid, frigid, freezing cold. I'm in like arm warmers, leg warmers. I got a toque on, like biking in the cold. This guy starts disrobing and he said, yeah, I can kind of swim. I'm like, no, it's not that kind of water. Like a big (laughs) crashing waves. It's like going in the ocean, right? So I was like, I'll come with you, right? And he's like, okay. So I get off and everyone's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like Amanda's looking at me, my son, everything. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to go save this kayak idiot, right? So anyways, me and this guy get in the water. My heart is like, takes all my breath away. I jump in the water. I take a couple things. I look back and the kid doesn't come, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I said, just stay there, man, stay there. So I go out, swim. I'm a pretty good swimmer. I'm really confident in the water. I go, you know, I start swimming out to this guy and I get a niff close enough to him that I'm like, yo, yo, what are you know? And, and you know what he says to me? Fuck off. He yells, <laughs> fuck off. What are you doing? Go back. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I said, what? he's like, I'm testing equipment. Fuck off. And I'm like, oh. I was like, just lay I, everything I could. I'm swimming, treading water, screaming this guy. Like you are the piece of shit. You are the lowest of the low. I hope you die. <laughs> right. And so I swim back. But by the time I swim back, the cops been called, the ambulances, fire trucks, the whole thing. And when I, I get back there, they're like, I'm like, just let that guy die out there. Right. So anyways, we get dressed up. I go to driveway and he's come into the shore. Okay. And so now I turn, I say to these guys, I got to go see this guy's face. I got to know who this guy is. Right. And so I roll back and as I'm walking the beach, he just looks at me, he sees me coming. Right. I'm like kind of in predator mode. Like I, I really want to smack this guy. Right. And so he's like, were you the guy that swam out to me? And I was like, damn right. I was right. And the, and the cops are coming. I get to him before everybody else. And I'm like, you really are a piece of shit. He's like, well, man, I was testing. I'm really sorry. So as I'm getting close, that's when he starts to apologize. Right. Cause I really was going to whatever, uh, Will Smith, this guy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, he said he was a testing equipment. I'm like, why are you doing this right there on the beach and scaring the shit out of hundreds of people flopping around in the water? Right. So anyways, he didn't swim to me. I led to him to die, like exactly like the analogy. Like, you know, I went out to, I went as far as I could to go save this guy's life, found out, doesn't want to be saved, doesn't, you know, and all right, drown for all I care. Yeah, it's like help is only good when you need it. Yeah, so we call that um, Hasselhoff Point now. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So here's, here's one to get deep on, Ed. How do, you, how do you see yourself versus how do you think other people see you? Like, so for me, so for me, I, I, this is one I struggle with occasionally in the kind of Instagram culture where I am trying to still push for podcast downloads. And hopefully the podcast is getting to a point where, you know, I'll just chill in the background and don't have to push it. But if I cycle, hypothetically say I cycle 350 kilometers tomorrow, am I happy just doing that for me? Or do I need to tell someone that I've done that? Like, how do I want to be perceived versus actually who am I? And that's something I wrestle with. Okay. Well, um, I know I'm a performer. Are you a performer? What do you mean by a performer? Well, I, I like the crowd. I like, I like the claps. I like the cheers. I like, I, I get up for bigger events. I, the bigger the crowd, the bigger the show, the bigger, like, I, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I like to be on stage. Okay. Cycling's my stage, but 
Yeah, there's aspects of it I do like, but then there's aspects of it that trouble me. Like Strava culture has always troubled me. Celebrating someone for, you know, going training. I like I like to do that stuff quietly in the background as we touched on to start. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. I, it's never bothered me. You, All my stuff's on Strava. Everyone knows all my watts. Everything I do is on Strava. I, I'm not, I actually do not go on Strava. I put myself on Strava. I've got all kinds of followers. I look at it as a business. I'm putting out there. I'm, I'm letting everyone in on my life and I get off it. I, I don't use Strava. So I, 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 I'm not the guy. When people tell me they're looking at all my stuff and they know all my rides, I'm blown away. I meet people and they're like, oh yeah, you did this and this and this and this. I'm like, I never can reciprocate. I can't say like, oh yeah, and you did this because I don't know. I, I don't look at anyone's Strava. So would you still be Edvia without the crowds, without the adulation, without the Strava kudos, without the local hero fast guy? Would you be happy doing this without that applause? I like the applause and I like the recognition. I like rolling up to rides and I do like the, um, you know, I like that. Okay. So I, I don't know. I can't tell you that, that seriously, that when someone comes up, um, even just, uh, you know, weird things though, you know, someone wants an autograph or someone wants a selfie with you or something. Like I, I have imposter syndrome big time where I'm like you, me, you want a picture with me, you know, like, but I like it. Like, I can't tell you, I don't like it. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, I would. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I guess it's hard to say, you know, I, I take it away and you know, maybe, but one of the thoughts, um, I listen, you know, I guess with this going away, this is one of the things like what is actually going away? Okay. Like I like the respect of my peers. I like racing with the baddest, the fastest. And I like, you know, the, the nods. I like the, you know, oh shit, Ed's here, you know, and I like that, you know, and, and eventually it'll go away. So I, I guess, you know, I, I mean, maybe it's more important to me than I realize. Yeah, when, when you take that away, so I'm trying to think of a Canadian rider who was high performance, say Michael Barry, who was high performance and he was Michael Barry, the cyclist, you know, riding some of the biggest races in the world with yeah. Team Sky. And then now he's not Michael Barry, the cyclist. He's just Michael Barry. Do you worry about when you take cycling away from Ed Veal, who is Ed Veal? Is cycling your identity? Oh, it is massive part of my identity. But I feel, I don't know, I, I have good friends that have reminded me that, like, I think I said this in the last podcast, or I've said this in other podcasts or, you know, engagements, but I had a buddy that said, if you think your gift is cycling, you're, you're an idiot. If you think this is all you have for this world, you are, you are lost. And I remember just like, ah, oh, you know, like I needed to hear that because a lot of times, yeah, that's all you do is cycle. You think I meant to be a cyclist. You know, I, I, I have some gifts. Uh, it's got me this far. It gets me all kinds of stuff. So what happens when it's gone? You know, what, what am I going to be when it's gone? I have these thoughts, Anthony, these, and, I, and with age, it's, it's more and more and more. You know what I mean? And, and the cool thing about having a, a really great relationship with my girlfriend is I, that's who I confide in. I say to her, like, you know, what, what if this is the last midweek I ever win? You know, she just giggles. She's like, I've heard this for five years, but I'm like, it, you know, but I'm like saying to her, but the, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Like one of these is going to be the last one. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I yeah, I wish I had an so answer. There's two things on that. There's a meditation I love, and I'm not sure how much you're into meditation, but this idea is lovely. It's called a last time meditation. So it's this, this morning, just before this podcast, I literally just got back, jumped in the shower after a bike ride. And But how would I enjoy that bike ride if that was my last ever bike ride? What music would I listen to? Would I have a smile on my face? Would I have a frown? Would I get pissed off when I got close past by a car? Or would I just smile and laugh it off and enjoy my own company? So it's there, there's going to be a last ride. I chatted to the Irish national champion uh, female this year, Imogen Cotter on the podcast. She went out training, moved to Girona, just signed for... Uh, the uh, Alpes and Phoenix women's team Damn. moved to Girona, Irish national champ, living her dream. Inside the first week living there, she got a bang of a car, broke her leg really, really badly, nearly died. They were talking about amputating her leg. She's back, you know, doing some rehab and stuff now. But it's like, will she ever race again? Hopefully, but who knows? So I, I try to be more mindful and I think about that. What if this was the last time I ever seen my parents? What if this was the last time me and you ever chatted? What if this was I the last about, time? Okay, so is this new? Because I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, so, it's new for me, yeah. Okay, no, I've been, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. And I, I thought I it was it. weird. I thought it was weird that I was doing it. I thought this is a stage in my life. This is really weird. Like, you know, we're, you know, as you age, you you realize you don't really know much, okay? You think you know it all, and then you realize, wow, I don't know. And then you're like, I know fuck all, okay? But as I age, <laughs> I'm, I'm appreciating these experiences where in the past, I didn't really. You know, oh, there'll be another party. Oh, there'll be another this. There'll be another yeah. get-together. there would be... but. Now I, I have that. I have that really like, wow, this, this could be, a, I was just in Germany. I'd never been to Germany, but I also was like, I'll probably never be back to Germany. 
So as I was leaving, I was kind of like, you know, peace, Germany. It's been nice. Like, I, you know, I'd probably never be back. You know, like that. I, these are thoughts I would never have before when I was traveling. But I'm, I only have so much, you know, time and whatever, and there's a good chance I'll never be back. You know, and so the, the, I do think like that. And I have those thoughts with my parents all the time. My parents are in their 70s, you know, like their, their health is, it's good. But I mean, I, I, you know, when I kiss and hug them goodbye, I, I, it crosses my mind. You know, it's, it's a really weird thing. You know, um, I just crashed at uh, a race here. I don't know if this is, a, I got Tegaderm all over me. So when was the last time you had a nice, uh, you know, I haven't used Tegaderm in a while. Okay. I, I, I could have had a Tegaderm sponsor there for a while. <laughs> yeah. I was hitting the deck with some serious consistency. It's so, you know, I post all these gnarly photos and like they're gross and it's oozing and I, the grosser the better. I tried to get some real ones when I'm racing where it's all coming out of my kit and everything. And, and the engagement and the responses on my social media were the best they've ever been. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I can't even like the most ever just because of that scar and almost every single person I tried to let them know I'm like you know it wasn't a head I did not hit my head I didn't I'm hurt I am not injured and I did not hit my head and they don't get it they're like yeah but that's all painful what about sleeping sticking the sheets I'm like no no you don't get it I know too many people that they crack their melon and they're never the same you know whether they have to learn to walk talk the all the problems you have and you know uh so why I have this big thing is I kept my arms in the bars I didn't put my arm down no collarbone and I kept my head from hitting the deck and here I am race. I got in back into the race and I raced the next day and then I raced the following weekend, you know? And so the least of my worries is having some road rash. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but that I longevity thing. Any of those crashes you can walk away from is a good crash. Well, and that's the thing. And I'm very aware, you know, it, it, um, that's, that's the key is like, I, I'm very grateful that that was, that wasn't the end. That could have been just so we're so fragile. That could have been it. Boom, quick, bang, bang. And cycling's done, you know? Uh, when we're talking about like who are you beyond bike riding, when I think about like who are you, I and what is your real skill? What is your real talent? I think it's it, it's leadership, and I don't think that's a cycling specific thing. I think you could step into any like you're almost an agent of change. You change people's state. You change their mood. I've rarely gone as deep for teammates as I'd go for you. It's like you have a standard. And if you're going to be part of Ed's band and, you know, I remember being on Jet Fuel on one of the early days there and you're like, this fucking jersey means something you were saying to people. And I was like, my only choice is to come up to Ed's level. There's, it's come up to Ed's level or fuck off. That's the only choice I have. But you, I think you inspire people around you and you lift people that you're in the room with. You lift teammates. You lift those up. That's why I love having you back on the podcast every time. Like we were saying off air, I'm like fucking motivated every time I talk to Ed. So what's awesome is I'm on a team in the US uh, automatic bus. Abus, uh, it's a helmet uh, company, and the guy that is my role from those years that you're speaking of is called Thomas Gibbons. Okay, and why I'm on this team is he does that. He he uh, he gets us pretty fired up. He's got some good speeches. He's he's got some real a real good attitude, and he huddles us all in. and And so many times I look at him and I'm like. Oh, I said that, or I, I, I used to do that, or I used to, it, it's crazy. I've said that to him, like we're living, you know, he's, he's uh, whatever, six, eight, maybe 10 years, you know, uh, you know, but I, it's nice to be um, on his team in that huddle, like you're, and it, he lifts up my level. And so it's not me giving the pep talk anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a role player on the squad, but that pep talk, oh my God, it's, it's great. And it, it, I still live for it today. And he brings me up. So, I mean, and we kind of go raw and we hit out there and we go smash some, smash some shit. So, um, so yeah, things change. Roles change. I still have that in me. If uh, a couple of times when they defer to me to speak, you know, I, I try not to overstep my boundaries. I'm not the leader on the team. I'm not the, the big dog, you know, and some of those squads, I was the guy going like, we need to win. I need to win. Let's fucking win. You know, like, you know, uh, I don't do that anymore. Cause you know, I'm, I'm in the USA crit scene. I'm a top 10 guy, maybe a top 15 guy. And so Tom is a, is a winner, you know, and so Tom can win races. So I'm riding for him. So it's, it's a weird experience for me to kind of give up all my, you know, what I'm doing to, you know, my personal uh, results for somebody else. Uh, I want to finish off uh, with just even sort of quick fire questions around crits, because I know we have a lot of listeners who are excited by the idea of crits but they're also just don't have that crit experience that you have so sort of just real rapid fire i want to run through some of the like what's your warm-up for crit mm. uh very quick i uh I usually ride in the morning okay so we get out let's say it's a twilight or evening whatever i'll get out in the morning and i'll do you know 40 minutes to an hour just light spin to kind of spin the legs then i go nap eat whatever and then before the race um 
you know, it's not as what you think. It's not as intense as you think. A lot of times I'm warming up the tires or just doing some figure eights. I'll do a couple little bursts back and forth in a little spot. I'm not on the trainer. I'm always on the bike. I get a feel for the bike. Um, it's probably 20 minutes tops with, a, you know, say 10, 10 second efforts. That's, that's my warm up. What's your nutrition for Chris in race? Um, I eat all regular food up until, you know, say a few hours out. And then I go right to, uh, uh, like a cliff bar or uh, race food on in the race. Uh, I have like mix in my bottles. Uh, I'm uh, Grupo Nutrition. There's my plug to my sponsor, which is awesome. So I've got about 500 calories in my bottle. Depending on how long the race is, I might have two bottles. And then I, I always carry caffeinated gels. Okay. And so I carry more than I'm going to use. You drop one or break one or lose one, but you know, and I use them, I'd say probably 20 minutes in, I'm into my first gel. I try to, you know, make sure. So I need that for the end, but most times I'm two caffeinated gels. First lap, what's your strategy? Oh, I need to be at the front. I know and everybody needs to be at the front, but the way I like, I feel like I can corner as good or better than anyone in the race. And so uh, I do not like touching my brakes. I do not like being in the pack, you know, sprinting out of corners. So, you know, I, I fight for an unbelievable position, whether I'm getting a call up or in the grid, like the staging, it, there's an art to that. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm one, of the, I'm one of the good ones at that. I figured that out. You get it wrong every once in a while and you get stuck, but... So staging is very important. You have to really invest in an awesome staging, um, you know, uh, uh, whatever <laughs> strategy. And then, yeah, burn some matches early. Get up there. And I don't mean like on the front. I get to the front. I usually go on the front. A lot of people question that, like burning, uh, you know, but uh, first top 10 wheels is hard to do because, you know, pretty much half the field's trying to do the same thing. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. So if you find yourself out of position five laps in, what's your strategy for moving up? Uh, <laughs> it's a funny, it depends on the course, okay? That's the thing is you don't want to be moving up in the fastest spots. There's spots where we're doing 50K an hour. I see people moving up and everyone's pushing 400 watts doing 50K and a guy's going up the side doing 600 watts and he gets one spot. You know what I mean? And all it does, you touch your brake on the inside, boom, you lose two spots and all that effort was for nothing, <laughs> okay? So that that is a common, common thing. You really want to wait if you kind of got to wait and pick your moments where you're going to get the most bang for your effort. And that's hard because it could be six lap, seventh lap, eighth lap, and you're still in that shitty spot. And all of a sudden there's a swell or the group starts to widen out. And then all of a sudden you can just go boop and rip. And now you're, you go right up the side and you're right on the front and you, that same effort with a little bit of patience, you know? So there is, it takes a lot of experience to understand where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. But if I was panicking, and especially with this team, they call us up the front right away. Automatic has a thing right now where we want to be on the front, like within the first couple laps. You know, I'm diving corners. I'm uh, I'm taking a lot of chances, and I'm burning a lot of gas just to rip right up the side and, and join my boys. So last question. It looks like it's coming down to a bunch sprint. We're two laps to go. What's going on? What are you thinking? You're sprinting. I'm sprinting for myself or I'm sprinting for a teammate? You're sprinting for yourself. It's all positioning. There's like a, I, I can't tell you enough that the biggest watts in the world will not overcome a bad position. And so you need to put yourself in a great spot. And in most sprints, how many people do you pass? And people say, oh, I passed 10 guys. Yeah, you were going from 40th to 30th. That's the only time you pass 10 guys, okay? But if you're going for the win, you might pass one person, okay? So, you know, uh, one line and when in doubt, lead it out, you know, that usually gets you second, okay? That either you win the race or you get second. One guy nips you, okay? So I think you have to really, really understand that your sprint is not the 1500 watts you did for three seconds, okay? It's a minute or more of fighting, fighting, fighting for that position. And if you stand and you hit a thousand watts, but you win the race, you know, you're a pretty good sprinter, okay? So that's, it's invest early and put yourself in a position to win um, and don't wait, 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 and then come from behind trying to think you're gonna blast by all these guys. Best rider, one name that you've raced with or against? Best rider, how do you expect me to do that? One name. With or against? <laughs> I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, I can't do that. There's, I've been too many good riders, man. A bunch just went through my head at all at the same time. So, I mean, just think of in, in, like over the years. If you've been racing 15 years, think of all the people that made an impression on you. How could you pick just one? Okay? Could you do yeah. it? I probably caught. There's one, I've one standout teammate that I had. And I don't even know he's the best rider. He was my training partner for a long time. And he went on, rode the Worlds, had a big day out in the Worlds. Uh, I would say the Sean McKenna, my teammate. Wow. 
probably the best rider, but that's romantic because he's not the best rider I've raced against. You know, I've raced Mike Woods and Hirschdahl yeah, and Mike Burry. That's what I mean. But he, he, was, he was my training partner for so long. We rode the most kilometers together. So Our Canadian say. Nationals is stacked. I've lined up with all kinds of unbelievable riders, world tour professional. I think of all the, like I got to do the Commonwealth road race. Okay. You know, like I'm, I'm lining up against, uh, you know, uh, Garen Thomas and uh, Mark Renshaw. Like I've raced some pretty, like, so how do you pick, you know, I, I don't even know how to pick, but I, I will give you one just because when I first started in the sport, um, there was a guy that uh, he just, it, you know, and this is years ago. This is like 15 years ago. Okay. And he was the guy that I just was like, I don't know, had a bromance with or just looked up. He was at my idol, but his name's Darko Fico. Okay. And I remember him. Yeah. And so he, he's far from the best of all these people I just, you know, like I've raced with. But at that moment, that was the guy. That was the guy I aspired to be. That was the guy that I followed around. That was the guy I wanted. I hung on his every word. I, all his train, all his craziness that he would share and all the, he, he, I would, you know, and yeah, it's sad that people, that he's gone, that he doesn't race anymore. So. Yes. I could chat all night. Thanks for joining me on the Roadman podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.